As Tim just said, I am Pastor Larry. I'm not Pastor Jane, in case you're wondering. Uh, I am her older and wiser brother, however. Um, but she just thinks older. But anyhow, uh, she and Jeff are off enjoying their anniversary and taking some time away. And she uh, wants you to know that she's praying for the service today and that God would touch you and, and bless you. And then I'd ask you to continue to talk or to pray for them that they would continue to be blessed as well. Now, Pastor Jane asked me to do this just before I started uh, the sermon. Uh, she has been talking about ways that our church is blessing the world and that you are blessing people outside these walls even though you don't know that you're doing that. So she wanted me to share this with you. I've started a ministry uh, and they're going to pop it up there on the screen, Larry Hillman Ministries. And I go and coach people how, on, and train them how to do children's ministry. And so I've got three or four books on there that I've written. And so you are a part of that. And we're not just showing you that so you go and check out my website, but go ahead and do it. But that's not, the, that's not why. We're showing you that because our church is branching out and we're doing a lot of things to impact this world and it's all due to your faithfulness so thank you for that all right now let's get into the sermon pastor jane has been uh doing the sermon on uh, the series on miracles we're going to continue to do that but if you have your bible with you um bring it out whether it's in electronic form or in a leather form or book form but let's say our confession together this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. It is the indestructible, incorruptible, everlasting, living Word of God. I receive it now by faith, and I believe that my life will forever be changed. Join me in the word of prayer. Father, I thank you for your anointing now on your Word, because it is your Word that changes people. It is your word that will set them free. It is your word that will encourage them as it grows, as your word goes forth today. Let your anointing and your power be on it for us to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, as I said, we're going to be continuing the series in uh, miracles. And the foundation scripture that she's been using is Psalm 78, verse 7 in the New Living Testament says, So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. There, if you look down through history, there are different seasons where God's spirit moves in a particular way. And as the, we are in the end times, meaning it's not going to be too much longer before Jesus is going to be coming back. We don't know the exact day. The Bible says we won't know, but it gives us some some uh, information that we can look at, some signs, and we see those signs taking place. And so we know that as that approaches, that God's Spirit is going to begin to move more, begin to move mightily. Miracles are going to start happening more so than they have in the past. And we want our hearts to be ready to be with God. In the Old Testament with Moses, when they were in the desert, in the wilderness, there was a pillar of fire in the, at night and a cloud in the day. When that cloud stayed still, or at night that pillar of fire stayed still, they stayed still. But when that cloud moved, they better move with it. And so when God gets ready to make this next move, you better be ready to move with him. Otherwise, you're going to be left behind and not getting what God wants you to get. So we're talking about these miracles to help us get our hearts and to set our hope anew. That means continuously again and again on remembering that God does 
miracles with miraculous power. Now, the definition of miracles that Pastor Jane has been using is a miracle is a wonder or a wonderful deed, a miraculous sign, an omen. Miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. So today, I want to take you back to an event that happened in the Old Testament. It's a story that, as soon as I say it, everybody here is going to know what it is. But please, don't act like the kids used to act. Whenever I would go into a church and I'd have a whole bunch of little uh, pastor's kids, and I'd say the word, like if I started off a story with Noah, as soon as I said Noah, I lost them. They had heard that story 47 times. They didn't care about Noah because they knew it all. That's what they thought. So when I tell you what story we're looking at today, don't say, oh, I know everything. Because right? I, I assure you that the way we're going to look at this today, if you will allow the Holy Spirit, he will show you something that will help you receive your miracle today. Now, hopefully, all of you read the Bible. Right? But, but far too many people... The only Bible they know is what somebody's told them. I knew somebody that the only Bible they really knew is what somebody told them when they were a kid. So when they got older and it was time to learn something new, well, that person who told them that when they were 12 years old wasn't here to say it was okay, so they, were, they didn't know what to believe. You have to read it for yourself. You can't expect to come to church and listen to a pastor speak for about 30 minutes or a Sunday school teacher teach or somebody, some other speaker teach something about the Bible and get nearly as much of it out of it as you would if you went home and read it yourself. And it only takes a few minutes a day. And don't tell me you're too busy because I've seen you doing this. All right. We all have time for this. We all have time to watch TV. We all have time. Basically, you know, all of us will do whatever we want to do. You want to do it, you will find time to do it. So we should be reading our Bible because if not, it's sort of, I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you a story and I'm going to tell it two ways. And you tell me which one you get the most benefit from. Now, you'll have to bear with me because it's about racing, right? And those who know me say, oh, surprise, surprise. But whether you like racing or you hate racing, it's the, uh, the principle that you're going to learn from this. So I'm going to tell you a story that happened a couple of years ago at a track that they call, uh, that's a road race course, NASCAR, which means instead of going around in the circle, they turn left and right and go like that. And you're following your favorite driver, whose name happens to be Chase Elliott. And he's the number nine car. And Chase is really good on the road courses. So you know he's going to do good, uh, do well, and start up front. But they qualify, which means they take their fastest lap. The fastest guy goes first, and the second goes second, and on down the line. Chase is going to sit on the front because he's won all these races. He's really good. He goes into the turn and qualifying, flips it around backwards, hits the wall, and starts 19th. Way back. Now, these races are broken into three parts called stages. And each stage, the top 10 drivers at the end of that stage get points, which they accumulate for the championship. So it's important to be in that top 10. And he's starting 19th with just 25 laps to the end of this stage. Well, he pushes his car and ends up ninth. And so he's in there and he gets at least a point. They go into the pits, they get service, the gas and tires, come back out, and he starts 13th. But some of those people in front of him don't have new tires like he does. And in just six laps, he's taken the lead from 19th place. He's now leading the race. He leads the race for a while. He hits the pits, comes back out. He restarts eighth. He works his way back up in a little bit, gets back up in front, and wins the second stage. Everybody's glad. 
but he's, he can stay out now because he doesn't have old tires like they do. Stays out in the lead. There's a, another restart. Now, when they restart, they restart side by side. They go into the first turn. It's a 90-degree left. He goes flying into there, wide open for some reason, locks up the brakes, and slides right into the wall, head first. But this is a temporary wall because it's a, uh, so they can move it, so it's tires. They're stacked like five or six high, three or four rows deep. So he hits that wall, that tire, bounces back out. Every car in the field goes past him. They throw out the caution. He goes into the pits, and they see that basically the only damage on the car is that the hood is crinkled up and the fenders are crinkled. Well, this isn't Talladega or Daytona where that really matters because you're not going 200 miles an hour. So they do the repairs, sending back out. He starts 24th with just 44 laps to go in the race. By the time there's 25 laps, he's running 10th. By the time there's 22 laps, he's up to 4th. By the time there's 10 laps to go, he passes Clint Boyer and goes into third place, and there's a caution. They have to restart. But now that he's in third place when they're side by side, one, two, three. He's starting right behind the leader, but the guys on the two, front, two guys on front of him are past champions in the series. Kevin Harvick and Martin Truex. They drop the green flag. They go into the first turn. Kevin and Martin are side by side. They make a left. They go down. They make the left and the right. They go up on the big bank. They're still side by side and chases right on the forest bumper. They go into the next turn. Martin gets a little loose. Kevin pulls away and Chase follows him in the second place. Now there's only three laps to go. He's banging on Harvick's bumper. He goes to the outside, Harvick blocks. He goes to the inside, Harvick blocks. Then they get up on the big turn, and Chase pulls up on the outside because the next turn is a quick left and right. It'll put him on the inside. They go in and out. Chase comes out in the lead, leads the last two laps, and wins the race. Now, I didn't even tell you about the two guys that were mad at each other, and one of them was putting his finger out the window telling the other guy, you're number one, All right? And then after the race, how he... Well, that's what they're doing, right? Anyway, after the race, that guy throws water in the other guy's face because he wrecked him on purpose. I didn't even tell you that part. Or you could go on your phone and read the app, Winner, Chase Elliott. Which one did you get more out of? I know which one I got more out of. But that's the difference between you coming in here and me telling you something or some other person telling you something and you reading it yourself. We need to read it ourselves. Now, hopefully the rest of the sermon will be just as exciting. <clears throat> All right. Today I want to talk about uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, which is David and Goliath. Now, see, you just went, oh. No, you didn't. Uh, David and Goliath. This, to me, it's not usually classified as a miracle, but to me, this is a miracle. Absolutely, uh, God's hand moving to make a difference in human affairs. And so David received this miracle the same way that you and I can receive ours. He received it by one way, faith. He didn't receive it because he deserved it. I've heard people pray for someone who was sick, and they prayed for them to get better. And they said, Lord, if anybody ever deserves it, they deserve it. Well, if I get what would I deserve, I'm going to hell. So are you. That's why Jesus came, because without him, we don't get to go to heaven. So it has nothing to do with if you're a good church goer, or if you're a Sunday school teacher, or if you're helping to feed the poor. That's all good stuff, but it won't get you to heaven. 
So we get our miracles based on one thing, faith in Jesus Christ. So David had that faith in his God, and he received this miracle because of that. So I'm going to give you a quick recap of the story, just in case somebody here hasn't heard it all. And it'll be short and sweet, and then we're going to break it down and see what David actually did to receive his miracle. David is the son of Jesse. Jesse has seven boys. David is anointed by Saul to be the next king because or Samuel, because Saul, the king, has left God. But David is still taking care of the sheep. And being he's the youngest, that's what they send him out to do. It doesn't take too much to go out there and watch a bunch of sheep eat grass. And so that's David's job. His three older brothers, Saul has gone to war with their perennial enemy of the Israelites, the Philistines. Saul has gone out to war. Three of David's older brothers have gone with him to the battle. After a few weeks or a month or so, Jesse says, my boys would probably like some good home cooking. We all know how that army chow is. Here, David, take him some food. David comes up on the battle. He sees that each of the two armies are on opposing hills at the valley in the middle. And there's this really big guy down there about nine feet tall, hollering out a bunch of cuss words and talking about how bad the Israeli God is. And David says, who's that guy think he is? I whip him. And they end up taking him to Saul. And it from there, the king, and the king sends David down there, and with a sling, he puts it in his, a rock in his sling, slings it, kills the giant, giant falls down, David grabs his sword, picks off his head, and then grabs him by the hair and picks up, picks up that bloody head. And everybody on the Philistine side runs, because they say, if that little kid can beat our best guy, what chance do we have? And then all the Israelis shout and holler and chase after them. All right? Now, Let's go a little bit deeper into the story. David shows up on the scene. And in verse 17, the second part of that verse, it says, David says this, after he hears Goliath shouting, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, David immediately gave zero credibility to the giant. David didn't walk out there and hear the giant... Wow, he's a big one, ain't he? Look at that guy. I bet he could stomp me like a bug. David didn't give the giant any right, any credibility, any power. That's what we need to do. When we're facing a problem or a situation or some disease is attacking us or we need whatever it is and we need God to do a miracle, we don't need to sit there and look at how big that problem is. David didn't do that. And then David, David said, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? By uncircumcised, he means that circumcision is an uh, outward sign of the covenant that I have with God. He does not have a covenant with God. I got a covenant with God. The God that hung the moon, the stars, the sun in space, the God on, in that covenant sealed with blood says that if somebody attacks me, he'll come and fight on my side. That he will protect me, he will bless me, and he will be with me in everything I do. So the first thing that David does is he doesn't give the giant any credibility because David says what God says. How about us? When we have a problem, is the first thing we say what God says? Good thing is that if it's not, we can always change. You know? And so we need to do what David did whenever he saw him. 
Say what God says and give no credibility to that problem. See, it has no right to be, sickness has no right to be in your body. If Jesus shed his blood to redeem your body from sin, it has no right to be there. All right? So we have to say what he says. David did it, and it worked for David. All right? Then when that happened, then in verse 28, it says, uh, when, David, when Eliabib, and I don't have this verse. I only wrote down for you guys to read what David said. All right? Uh, his older brother saw this in verse 28. His older brother, it says, burned with anger. Because David's over there telling everybody he's going to go whip that giant. That punk-nosed little snotty kid over there. He's 16, 17 years old. You got a man out there that's killed probably a couple hundred people better than our very best soldiers. And that little brat's going to go out there. He ain't going out there. He's just bragging for nothing. And he gets angry at David. And then David says, God, I can't even talk. And then David says this to him in verse 30. It says, when he turned away, then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. David didn't stand there and argue with his brother who said he couldn't do it. David didn't say, oh, really? I hadn't thought of that. Those guys really are, and they're afraid of him. Maybe I should be afraid of him because they're... David didn't even listen to him. It says he turned away from him and started talking to the men just as before. And what they had said before was David said, What's, what are you going to get if you kill this guy? And he said, oh, the king's going to exempt your family from taxes. He'll give you a bunch of riches and honor, and he'll give you his daughter to marry, which means you're part of the king's family. You get all of that. So David just turned away from his brother and went on. David gave no place to that fear and that doubt. You know that it says in the Bible in... Um, Let's see, where does it say it? It's in here somewhere, I promise you. In Ephesians 4, 7, it says, give no place to the devil. David gave no place to the devil. But you know, when his brother got mad at him, if you start to stand in faith and you're believing for something and everybody else can see it's the opposite, you know, they'll get angry at you. Can't believe you're that stupid can't believe you really believe that you know this is the real world pal that we're living in flesh and blood well i got news for you this ain't the real world <laughs> the real world is a spirit world that was here long before adam and eve were here and it's going to be here long after this body is gone we are in this flesh this whole life right here is simply a test everything you do is a test God is seeing, are you loving me? Are you trusting me? Are you, with, are you on my side because you're doing what I do? Do you love me like I love you? Because if you do, you're going to get a reward in heaven, and you'll have, that's where you're going to stay forever, and I want to reward you and take you to heaven, so let me see who's ready. That's this whole time that we're down here. The spirit world is the spirit world. So people may get angry at you because they don't see what you see. Remember Elijah and, and his, Elisha and his servant Gehazi, and they went out there, and there's hundreds of, you know, 80,000, 100,000 soldiers, and Elisha said, oh, those with us are better, more than those are to them. And his servant said he's lost it. Old man's finally cracked. And then the, Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. 
And then he saw in the spirit and he saw hundreds of thousands of angels with swords drawn ready to fight on their side. You see, people don't see what you see. You know, I have, there have been times that I had people in my family that I wouldn't tell them what I was believing for because I knew what they would say. And I don't need their negative. It's hard enough for me to be positive without you sticking on some more. All right? So I keep it to, I just kept it to myself and kept saying what God was going to do and believe it that way. You have to know who to share with. Joseph, as smart as he was way back there, whenever he was with his brothers and, and his father Jacob, Joseph made a mistake by sharing his dream with the wrong people. That's why he ended up getting thrown in the dungeon and going to Egypt. All right? God still worked out his plan, but it wasn't God's plan to have him beaten up and thrown in and being a slave. So you need to know who to share that with. Share it with somebody that's going to join you and believe with you and do that. And then not only will people get angry at you when you start expressing your faith or when you just begin talking about that you love Jesus or that you go to church instead of going off to the beach this morning or doing something else, not only will they get angry at you, some of them will laugh at you. Poor little thing. Their mind is so weak. You know, if they, if they just knew the truth, if they just really, you know, eh, they'll, they'll laugh at you. In fact, you know, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus walked into the house where the girl was dead, and they're wailing and mourning, and Jesus said, why are you crying and, and wailing? She's not dead, she's sleeping. And the Bible says they laughed him to scorn. They made fun of him. What an idiot. He doesn't even know when somebody's dead. Hey, dude, she ain't breathing. That's a sign. But Jesus put them out, and when that girl walked out of there alive, suddenly they weren't, they weren't laughing at him anymore. When you receive your miracle from God, suddenly they're not going to be laughing anymore. Right? And God will move on your part. So David, he doesn't give any credibility to that giant. He doesn't give any credibility to his older brother. And he goes on by shutting that out and continuing to say, I'll take him on. So they say, all right, we'll take David to Saul. When David walks into Saul in verse 32, the first thing out of David's mouth is he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David walked in there and said, hey, dude, problem's over. I got it. Got it covered. I'll go fight him. What a statement of faith. David was stating a statement of faith of what he believed would happen. You know, in Hebrews, it says that some of the people, that, when, in the, when it gives a role of, of faith and it gives all these great people in the Old Testament, Noah and Abraham, and goes on down the list, it said that they framed their world, which means they created a frame for their world and they lived right in that frame. And how did they create that world they lived in? By their words, by what they said. You are going to create your world. Well, you know, the doctor said, I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. It's going to be a tough one. All right? No, you have to say what God says. All right? You have to believe what God says, and it goes by what God says, not by what anybody else says. Now, I'm not saying don't go to a doctor. You better go to a doctor. You better follow what they say unless God sends an angel to tell you different. All right? Don't go out of here saying I said don't follow their advice. 
But first and foremost, you got to say what God says. I was with the doctor a while back, and they said, you might have, and I don't forget now what they said, kidney something or whatever, and I said, well, I don't. And they looked at me and kind of smiled and just went on. I wanted to stop that right there. It ain't going any further than your mouth because it ain't going into me. All right? So we have to do what David said and believe that. And if you don't think your words are important, these three people were stranded on a desert island. They'd been there for a while, and they found this lamp, you know, a bottle, and they rubbed it, and out popped this genie. Of course, now, this ain't in the Bible. This is a story, right? And this genie says, now, I can give you three wishes, so each of you get one. The first person says, I've been here a long time. I, want to, I, I wish I were home. Boom. Gone. Second person, me too. I wish I was home. Boom. Third person starts cr- crying uncontrollably. And the genie says, what's the problem? I miss my friends. I wish they were here. Huh? Took a minute for some of you, but you got it. All right, your words do make a difference. So make sure you, that what you're saying. And then Saul immediately says to David, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. David, again, is hitting someone that's saying, no, you can't do it. And now it's not just an ordinary person. It's the king himself. But you know what? David worships a higher king and follows a higher king. So David, next in verse 37, he says to Saul, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David recounts to Saul how he was watching the sheep and a bear came and he went after that bear and killed him. He went after that lion and killed him and got that sheep back. And he said, just like God took care of me then, God will take care of me now. What David was doing was he was reciting a testimony. He was saying, I'm remembering what God did. And when I remember what God did, I think, well, God can do that again. And you say, well, Pastor Larry, I don't have a testimony. Yes, you do. Open your Bible. It says your brothers with all those people in there, sisters with all those people in there. Go tell David what God did, or tell God what David did for Daniel when he shut the mouth of the lion. Tell, tell the devil what God did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when he kept them through that fire furnace, and it didn't even smell like smoke when they came out, and the men that pushed them in there died from the heat. Go tell him one of the stories in the Bible and use that as your testimony. In Revelation, it says that you and I defeat the devil by two things. The blood of the lamb, Jesus, and the word of our testimony. What we say. And our testimony. And if you, the only Bible you know is Jesus loves me, say it, it works. There, There have been days when I've said that 47 times. And I'm not kidding. The enemy keeps coming at me with something. I just keep saying, Jesus, I love you. I love you, Jesus. And you know what? Every time I say that, that thought leaves. Now, I might have to say it 47 times a day, like I said, but it's worth it. It works. If if you put something, you know, you feed your body a whole bunch of times, you do that every day, and you can tell it works. All right. So do the same thing with the Word of God. You might have to do it over and over, but keep doing it. So... Then it says that Saul said, okay, David, you can go down there. And he gives David this king's armor. Now, the king's armor was the strongest and the best army armor out there. But David put on that big old shield and that big helmet, which probably came down over his eyeballs, turned his head, and it twisted. 
David said, I, I can't do this. You see, people, if they, after they've listened to you a little bit and they understand they can't change your mind, then they'll start telling you how you should do it. Well, you know, you really ought to do it this way, or this is what I heard you should do. You have to do it the way that God said to do it. And so David recognized that, and David says in verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Now that Philistine had on a big helmet covering his head to protect it. He had on a breastplate. He had on what uh, that the skirt is what it looks like to us, but it was made out of chain mail. Then he had on big guards on his shins uh, made out of bronze. Then he had on the special boots. Then he had the big shield. In fact, he had somebody to carry the shield for him because it was so big. On his back, he had this uh, javelin that was taller than David was and weighed just about as much as David. Then he had a spear. Then he had his sword. And David walked out there with a tunic on. How you doing? You talk about having faith? To face all of that and not have any man-made protection? That you, he trusted God that much that he could walk out there completely un... No, no armor whatsoever. Now, Why did David have such great faith and the others didn't? Why was David so ready to walk out there and face the giant and the others weren't? Well, the reason, I believe, is found in Psalm 119, which David wrote, verse 105, where David said, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, David didn't have all the Bible we have. And, of course, he didn't have anything about Jesus. David basically had... The five books of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They had Joshua. They had Judges. And then he might have had, then they had probably Job. That was about it. And if you've read those books, they're not always the most uplifting. All right? But David had studied those books because he knew it was the word of the living God. And David had hidden God's word in his heart. David's out there writing songs to God while he's watching these sheep. Some people would have gone out there, I don't like watching these sheep, they're stinky. Why do I have to be out here doing this? I'm more important than this. I ought to be over there. David went out there and said, Lord, it gives me time to worship you. And in Psalms 8, you know, David writes, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And then a little further, he says, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what am I that you love me? David knew that, you know, he worshiped God. He gave God, uh, he praised him, and he, he elevated God. But David also knew Leviticus 24, chapter 7 where it says that if they blaspheme the name, take him outside the camp and stone them. So David sees this uncircumcised Philistine, no covenant with God, and he's down there blaspheming the name. God, I think I'll just do what you said to do. And if I know I'm doing what God said to do, God will give me the strength to do it, because it's not really me doing it, it's really God. That's why David could face the giant and everybody else was scared 
because they didn't have the Word of God in their life. You want to live a life that's, that's overcoming, a life with joy, a life with peace, a life that you are happy with? Put the Word of God in your heart. It sounds so simple, and yet so few people do it. Because we're so busy doing all kinds of other things that we think are important. And we miss out on the miracle that God has for us. You see, when the God, when the Holy Spirit begins to move, you've got to be ready to move with him. You know, there's this story about a guy back in the cowboy and Indian days where he was a ranch, you know, he uh, worked on a ranch and was really good at handling the cattle. And he went to a large ranch and he wanted to hire on as a hand. And the guy was asking him all kinds of questions. And the, the man said, well, I can sleep when the wind blows. You know, that was a strange answer, but the guy seemed to know what he's doing, so he hired him. He's in the bunkhouse one night. The foreman runs in and starts hollering, there's a tornado coming. Get up. Go to your stations and make sure everything's all tied down and everything's good. And everybody jumped up and started running out. And this guy just rolled over in the bed. And they went over and shook him and said, didn't you hear us? Get up. He goes, yeah, I'll hold you. I heard you. And I also told you I could sleep when the wind blows because my stuff's already tied down. You can't wait till you're in the middle of the battle and somebody tosses you a gun and you say, okay, how do you put the ammunition in? You're dead. You can't have the enemy toss some horrible situation on top of you and then say, okay, now what's the Bible say about that? I know there's got to be something in there somewhere. What you, the enemy's got an advantage on you. Now, you're not going to know everything in there, neither do I, but I know enough. I know enough to say, Jesus, you said you'd help me. I know enough to say, Jesus, you helped those guys, and it says you're no respecter of person, so that means you've got to help me too. All right? We need to do the things that David did to receive the miracle that we need to have. Now, Goliath looked at David, and he said, am I just a dog? You come out here with a stick? Remember, David took a staff with him. And so he said, I'm going to cut you up and feed you to the birds. Uh, don't think that whatever you're facing is going to get scared just because you stand up against it. No. But David didn't allow that to stop him. David turned around. Yeah, right. I'm going to cut your head off. I'm going to feed you. And not only you, I'm going to feed all that army behind you to the birds. And when he said that, Goliath got angry and he charged David. I don't know about you, but if I'd have been there, well, I, yeah. I, that boy, he's big. <laughs> you know, in the natural, that's what you would think. You see, you remember the 23rd Psalm? David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Goliath casted a big shadow. And that was right over the top of David when he started running at him. David knew what it was to stare down death right in the eyes. But the Bible says when Goliath ran at David, David ran at him. David said, you want some of this? <laughs> now, if you notice, David grabbed five stones before he went down there. There's only one giant. Why five stones? Well, some people say Goliath had, five, had four brothers. It, regardless of whether he did or not, there were, he probably did have some brothers over there, and he had some friends. And David said, if I take, when, I, when I take him out, if they come, I'm going to take them out too. David was planning on what was going to happen after he won the victory. He wasn't saying, well, you know, if they kill me, my mom and dad will say he died gallantly. He wasn't planning the contingencies of failure. 
David was all ready for planning for what was going to happen after he won the victory. I've heard a story about a person who was coming to a healing campaign for the week, and they came in a wheelchair every night, and nothing happened. They got prayed for, and they weren't healed. About the fourth night, they showed up not in their pajamas or their bed clothes as they had the other night. See, they were confined to a bed, so they would just wear in their bed clothes or their robe, and they would get out, and they'd come to the meeting in their pajamas. But this night, they came in regular clothes with shoes on. Because whenever I start walking, I don't want to walk around like I'm at Walmart in my pajamas. I want to walk around with regular clothes on. They had an expectation to receive, and they received. So that's what happened to David. He had that expectation to win. He beat the giant, and then he picked up that sword, and he cut off Goliath's head because he wanted to end it right now. What if that stone just knocked him out? I don't want to have to fight this big boy again. I'm going to chop his head off right now and be done with it. That's what you and I have to do when the enemy comes against us. When we win that battle, cut his head off. It's done with. But you do that by what you say and what you believe. So hopefully you receive something out of that this morning.